Hey, and we're back. Hey, how's it going, everybody? My name is Sean Hicks, overexcited, overenergized for <laughs> season three, 2024, bringing it to you again. Just when you thought we were canceled, we are not. We are back again to talk about travel, finding ourselves another opportunity to find the great experience of traveling alone with others, but also traveling to find an opportunity to know who you are by finding uh, cultures and opportunities within the people you meet. And speaking of people we meet, we have another person with us today intentionally. We have a great interview with Corey Mortensen. And so excited to talk about him. He's literally living the greatest life of all times. I always say that about Liz, but it's literally Corey this time. Uh, he's been there and it's been an amazing um, opportunity to speak with him. But, you know, like I say all the time, the host with the most is here. And we got to give her a proper due. Let's give it up for Liz. All right, Liz. Hey, welcome back. I missed you so much hey. that we decided to not cancel the show and come back. So take it away, Liz. Sean, you're too much sometimes. Um, yeah, so Corey, I just wanted to say thank you for joining us, for speaking with us about your journey. Um, you know, I want to get into a couple of different topics. We've split it up into uh, maybe areas of expertise a little bit. And uh, so we're going to kind of volley back and forth with a couple of questions, if you don't mind. Um, I would like to start by asking you, uh, what really got you into traveling? You know, because everybody always asks me, always asks Sean, whenever we're talking to them about traveling and we get around to the fact that uh, Sean and I have traveled quite a bit. We've been to um, several different continents, man, dozens of countries between the two of us, you know, so the biggest thing is what sparked that interest? What really lit that fire in you? Um, and then I think particularly for Latin America. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Um, I think it started, I mean, my dad was a pilot, so I, I was, fortunate enough to travel a lot domestically uh, when we were kids and we spent our time between Minnesota and Arizona and uh, I was growing up in Arizona at the time and so you know I took advantage of that and my dad when he'd come home didn't like to go on uh, flight trips so we'd get in the car and we'd drive cross country and you know he that was his way to down you know kind of decompress so we would drive you know up to the Grand Canyon or out to the desert and and um, so you, we kind of had that gypsy feel to it. Um, and uh, then when I got older, I was in college and uh, wasn't wasn't probably the best student in college. In the second year, a friend of mine's dad worked for a company called Raytheon, which I believe is now owned by, uh, I'm not Raytheon, but uh, Intel, Intel Com Sports Services, which I think is now owned by Raytheon. And they had a contract on a little island in the Pacific called Wake Island. And it's probably one of the top 10 most remote places in the world. And I said, I'll take the job because <laughs> I just wanted wow. to do something different. So I flew out there and um, uh, there was a, it was a military contract, government contract. And of the people that were working out there, there was a handful of U.S. Americans. And then there was um, a large group of Thai people who were there basically to, you know, provide the food and laundry services and everything that for the Air Force. <clears throat> and so I got to meet them and I really, really enjoyed the culture. And so when I came back to the States, I, I had the, what I call itchy feet and I was ready to just take off. And uh, so I would, you know, every, every year I would, you know, go down to Central America because it was such an easy location to get to from the States. Sean and I talked earlier about how um, where you're at, it's easy just to get on a train and go up to Paris. And, you know, yeah. for the rest of us, it seems so f like a foreign concept, but 
you know, like I live in Phoenix and if you tell people, yeah, in three hours I could be in Vegas or two hours I could be on the beach in Mexico um, by car, that they would go, wait a second, you can, because proximity is such a such an important aspect of where you live. And um, so Central America just was an easy place to get to. So every Christmas, I would to avoid family um, craziness, I would just fly down to Panama or Costa Rica or someplace and I'd backpack around. I wouldn't have any destination. I would just buy a plane ticket to one location and then a plane ticket home from another location and figure out how to get from point A to point B. <clears throat> so that's kind of how it all started. That's great. That's a kind of a mix of stories between what my sister and I do as well. She does the buy a ticket somewhere and buy a ticket home thing and figure it out in the middle. And I was the, and she travels quite a bit as well, but I was the one like yourself who found my, found myself thinking, um, I, I just want to keep getting away and getting itchy feet like over and over, which she does also, but, you know, making it a point that every year to go to try to f find somewhere new and uh, as you mentioned, now that I'm in Spain, you know, it, it was so easy. Just went to Paris um, between Christmas and New Year's. And it's a two hour and 15 minute flight, maybe two, two hours. If the winds are in your favor. So it's amazing what you can do if you think about what your surroundings are and how you can take advantage of it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and then that planted that, that I did that traveling, you know, just like for maybe two, three weeks at a time in my twenties. And then I told myself when I'm 30 years old, I'm going to travel the world. And, uh, when I was 31, I was like, Oh, I missed my opportunity. But in fact, <laughs> I finally, I, that's when I kind of started the whole, uh, that's the, I wrote three books about it. I have three travel memoirs and that's how it all started. I just decided one day I was going to ride my bike to California from Minneapolis. And, and then when I got there, I'm like, you know what, I'm not going back to work. I'm 31. It's time to go see the world. So, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty fantastic to have three books out. Um, and, and then to think that by 31, you had still missed an opportunity. Goodness gracious. Uh, I think you made the most of it, really. But so having said that, then when you expanded down into Latin America, what what's a, a memory or maybe a couple, if you have a few short ones, that just really stick out in your mind of either things that went really well or maybe things that went Really, you know, Sean and I like to also share what went really wrong a couple of times, if it's uh, if it's fair to share. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was reading what I saw one of your episodes about credit cards. Um, and so yeah. there was a situation where I got to Venezuela and um, this was in the t early 20s. This is right after 9-11. So um, we didn't all have cell phones and computers that are right at our uh, fingertips. So we had to go find a cyber cafe and, you know, spend three dollars for 15 minutes. So I was checking my email and uh, I got a notification from my bank that said my debit card was going to be shut down because the bank was compromised. And so <laughs> that's all I had for money. And I was like, well, this is the only thing I have. So I emailed them and I said, could you just not cancel mine? And they were like, no, no, we're canceling everybody's. So oh I, I got to the point where I was having to withdraw lots of money. And um, that was kind of a, I, I wouldn't. I a misadventure. It was a slight, I mean, that's like totally harmless. I mean, there, there it's, it's really, oh, I miss adventures. I kind of feel like there's a lot of them, but, but the, I think, but the thing is, is the thing is, is that's what made it fun was the misadventures, you know, like we, I agree. we had, there was this, I, I met this brother and sister, Ross and Rachel. Um, they're not friends, uh, not the friends, Ross and Rachel, but Ross and Rachel. And um, we were trying to get to Cusco for new year's and, you know, we didn't plan anything. We we're just like, 
backpacking around Ecuador. We're like, yeah, okay, let's go do this. So we go down and we're trying to find a bus to Cusco, not knowing that Cusco was like one of the top 10 places in the world to be for New Year's. So everything was sold out, planes, everything. So we're sitting in Nazca, uh, standing on the Pan American Highway with our thumbs out. And we have these, this guy comes up in a little Ford Fiesta and says, I'll take you. And um, so we had our three backpacks and uh, Ross had his guitar and we got about three quarters of the way through the Andes before I think his car gave out and he just dropped us off in the middle of nowhere and said, uh, I'm not going any further. <laughs> so we, we were just kind of like, okay, well, we got to get to Cusco somehow. So, you know, that was just, but that was just kind of, I think if you're living in this, when you're, when you're at home and that happens to you, you get really angry about it. But when you're traveling for some reason, it's kind of like, well, this kind of sucks, but you know what? Let's make the best of it. And it's funny how yeah. your mind thinks when you're traveling versus when you're at home. It's like if, if some something happens that's petty, I get really frustrated at home. But if something happens that's on the when I'm traveling that's not petty, like huge, like being dropped off in the middle of the Andes nowhere, I'm like, this is awesome. Let's <laughs> make the best of it. That's great. Yeah, um, I've learned, especially out in Spain, that you can't just say I'm going to have a plan A and a plan B. You have to go so far past that and say plan Z. Like if the if the sky is going to fall, am I can I just figure out how to be safe today or something, you know, and as long as that happens, you've had a good adventure and keep on going, you know, just when I walked, yeah, when I walked into Argentina, I had been um, backpacking in 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 tourist alpine, so I, I didn't know what was going on in the world, and so at the time the Argentinian government collapsed, and so the peso like was one to one, and then I crossed the border. It was like nobody knew what the currency was. So when I got to when I finally got to Ushuaia, I went to a hostel, and I'm like, the guy's like, I don't know what to charge you, so just we'll figure it out at the end of the day. Because he goes oh today, goodness. some days it's ten to one, sometimes it's one to one. So right. it's and all you could do is sit there and, and laugh about it. And, I ended up staying at this hostel for like three weeks. And had That's time. awesome. Well, so that actually leads me uh, very well into my next question, which was about navigating cultural differences, language barriers and everything like that. Um, what were some things that looking back either helped you or you wish you had known how to do? Uh, so. Or had access to? Well, again, I mean, we're talking different times. So like having the technology we have today, that would have been awesome to have, to be able to like Google something and then like, how do you say hello in Croatia? You know, that would be awesome. <laughs> um, so that would have been nice to have. Uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat, <laughs> repeat the question? Uh, just dealing with cultural differences as well as language barriers, you know, like what did you find really helped you? And then what do you, and then again, like if, if you had had access to something, so example, you know, having Google or Google Translate that you can now download and, you know, international data and all of that, were there things that really helped that at the time you were able to say, you know what, we don't have that technology, but here's how I figured it out. Yeah, that's a good question. I, th I think in the in, in South America and Central America, um, I, I know enough Spanish to be able to get my, get around. Um, it's not it's not um, it's not the greatest Spanish, but it's enough to get around, and I can hear things, and so I kind of know, and I can read it enough to know like which way to go. Um, although I did find myself in Antigua, Guatemala, and at a hostel, and all the streets looked the same. And so I looked at this the sign, and it said Unave, Unave, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm at the intersection of first and first, not realizing that it was one way, one way. 
in every street <laughs> in Argentina, in every street that town was funny. one way, one way. So uh, it took me a long time to find my hostel again. But that's um, funny. I, I've stayed at hostels in Antigua as well, and that tripped me up because they do uh, the Avenida and the Calle, like you know, just like in uh, New York. And so every once in a while, you're like. I'm, I know I'm supposed to be on 7th, but what is, which 7th? I don't know which 7th I'm supposed to be on. So that did that kind of caught me up when I was over there, too, how everything was like that. <laughs> but I find, like, in South America, I think, you know, as far as cultural, I, I always like to kind of be a watcher. Um, and if I can engage, I will. And I find that people will engage you. Um, and it's 99% of the time, it's very thoughtful. Um, every once in a while, you'll get a scammer. But... Um, I, I, you know, I always give people the benefit of the doubt. And, um, my wife and I went down a couple of years ago and spent 16 months in South America and we would spend like a month uh, volunteering at some place. And then we go backpack around and we go volunteer. And that helped us kind of get into the communities and, and, you know, learn about the culture a little bit. Um, in Europe, you know, I'm a white guy. So I walk around and <laughs> if I'm in Germany, they speak to you in German because they think you're German, right? Like it's, it's, it's not like I have any distinctive characteristics that would, they would look at me and say, Oh, you look Irish. Right. And so um, Europe was pretty easy to get around aside from, they kind of know who you, they kind of know by how you dress um, typically that you're a backpacker. One, if you're hauling your backpack around, that would be an obvious clue. But uh, you know, even if you're walking down to the local bodega or something, um, you know, I, I never, I feel like they're just ignore you because they just think you're just one of them sort of thing. If I dare say that. And then in Southeast Asia, that's where it was. That was where it was really interesting. Um, I was riding my bike around the Philippines and uh, you know, everybody calls you Joe, you know, Hey Joe um, for the reference for GI Joe. And, uh, and um, that took me a while to figure out. And the kids all come up and touch you because you have hairy arms. And so I referred to myself as the white gorilla <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> That's and they funny. do the and they do the mop was it mapo or mop mapo where um, if you're standing there, oftentimes a mom will have their kid grab your hand and and you bless them on the head, and that yeah. that was really interesting because um, it would happen everywhere. Like I would be sitting at a at a on the side of the road with my bike, and a mom would come over and have her kid come over, and I would bless their bless their child and. Wow. It's a form of respect. So um, I think it's Mapo, M-A-P-O, but I could be wrong on that pronunciation. That's so really that, cool. Yeah, that was, Asia was different because obviously it didn't look like the, and I was, that's what I was first like, huh, this is what it's like to be a minority, you know, people staring at you and, you know, sure. pointing. Wondering you. what you're doing there. Why, you know, why'd you come? How long are you going to be here? What's your prerogative? Often, yeah, and oftentimes I, I don't, like hang out in the main places. I like to go way out in the country where they probably haven't seen somebody like me um, in real life anyway, maybe just on TV. Um, so I, then, then that's when it gets really fun is when you, the ki- I love it when the kids come up to you and they just, they're just, you know, totally have them bewildered by who you are and want to touch you and play soccer with you and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so also then I, that leads me to thinking about misadventures and, and things between staying in the bigger cities. And then like what you said is you're uh, a bigger focus for yourself, you know, it's going way out. Um, do you have any advice for people 
um, that are going to try to plan a trip like this, you know, through the misadventures and through the ideas of the differences between cultures and, and considering also the differences then between being in a big city versus the, just the idea to want to go out further. Do you have any advice for people that are trying to plan a trip for the first time uh, to maybe Latin America or somewhere else as well? Yeah, I would, I mean, as I get older, it's funny. Um, that's an interesting question because you started making me think about this. When I was younger and I would travel by myself, I throw, threw caution to the wind. I mean, I'd go someplace and I'd meet somebody and <laughs> next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm in the, in the prairies of Venezuela at a, some guy's ranch. And I'm like, how did I get here? And who is this guy that I just met that brought me here? And, you know, and I didn't think anything of it. Then I traveled with my sister and in, in uh, Jordan and Israel. And then I'm like, I'm not having any fun because I'm with my sister. She's blonde hair, blue eyes. We're walking through the markets of um, um, of Amman and, and and everybody's staring at her. And I was like, I don't know the culture. I don't know what it's like here. And so now I'm just paranoid. And we didn't have any incidents. It was, it was a beautiful trip. Um, and now I travel with my wife and I have the same thing. It's like we were scuba diving one day and all of a sudden I turn around and she's gone. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, it's like, but what, if I'm by myself, then you know, if I so what I'm to answer that question, if I was how I do it. If I travel by myself, it's all, I'll just fly into a place. And then, um, then I just wing it. So like when I flew into Manila, it was raining. And so I just went to the, I didn't even get out of the airport. I just said, where is it not raining in the Philippines? And the lady goes, Bohol <laughs> or Cebu. And I said, okay, to buy me a ticket to Cebu. So I didn't, I, and I didn't know anything about the place. So I went down to Cebu and then I read about the chocolate Hills. So I went and rode my mountain bike around whole you know so that's kind of how i i that happened that all happened and then i met a dutch guy who had a a, a resort sort of thing and then he asked me to work for him <laughs> giving tours to other wow. europeans to go ride their mountain bikes up to the chocolate hills that's great so there you go see misadventures turn into perfect adventures exactly exactly yeah you just gotta roll with plan z sometimes yeah. you just go yeah. or double z whatever double z i mean you know what i've i've hit double z a couple times Whew. I, I don't wish to do that very often, but you know, when it happens, the only thing you can do is what you is what you did. Just recalibrate, take a moment, recalibrate, assess your options, and go from there. Because otherwise, you're going to spend the entire time being stressed out and hating everything. Oh, you know? you're hundred percent right on that statement. Hundred percent. You're going to miss yeah. a bus, guaranteed. You're going to miss a bus. You're going to yeah. miss a bus, a flight, a train. There's going to be a protest. <laughs> you know, something. <laughs> oh yeah. Something's going to happen. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I, I write I, I, I write about it in my second book about if I were to I, I used to have a business that I sold, but I said if I were ever to hire anybody, I would and I looked at a resume of somebody who had a four year degree or four years of world travel. I would pick that four years world travel because I knew they had to figure out a lot of problems to survive sure. that. They had to figure out currency exchange and bus breaking down in the middle of the desert somewhere <laughs> and all that stuff. And so That's I'm like that person is going to have a lot of better life skills than, than somebody. No yeah. offense to any of those who have college degrees, by the way. No, I mean, it, it's true. You know, you have to be able to problem solve and think on your feet very quickly. You have to be flexible. You have to have people skills. You can't be a rigid punk, really, you know, where everything has to be your way and, and there's no room for, for errors. If you're traveling like that, you will lose. 
you will You're be the absolutely. loser in that situation. So I think that's a great point to make. Um, <clears throat> and so it kind of breaks into a different direction here, but um, I was just curious about your thoughts and ideas on like those little diamonds in the rough, like little gem cities that people don't often go to, especially since you were bringing up the fact that you would like to go far out and not stay in city center when you go to these locations. What were some of your favorites, like maybe top two, three um, places that if you were to explain a story to somebody and they just go, where is that place? I've never heard of it. Well, I think people might've heard of this, but that, that, that first place that jumps into my mind is uh, Ushuaia. And it's the, on the southern, well, southern tip of South America. And um, that one is funny because when I first went there, it was like, I found my, I found, I found Xanadu. It was like, oh my gosh. But I think it was because I made it to the south, southern tip of South America by myself. And I was about to get on a ship to go to Antarctica. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm at the end of the world. I did this. And this is a magic place. And I would go out and I'd go hiking and there's a glacier you could hike to in the morning and all this. And it was just, just there's a little Pandera shop that I'd go get the bread, my bread at in the morning. And I kind of had a crush on the woman that worked there. And, and, um, you know, and it was just magical. Then I returned 10 years later with my wife and it was like, this place is kind of a dump. (laughs) 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 So it's like how you, I think it's when, when you get some of these places is how you, how you approach or how you, where you are in your, in your mind, in your, in your soul, I guess, like when yeah. you get to these places. So, you know, that's an interesting town because it was so magical when I first went there and it was so dumpy when I went there the second time, but there was um, other places like if it's, it's not a small city, but we fell in love with Buenos Aires, you know, and by, by no means is that a small sure. city, but, but we really loved the culture and we loved all the little cities inside the city. And, uh, and that was that was really kind of special. And then I would have to say um, I, I have a friend who's Filipino, and I'm looking back, looking forward to go and visiting them for a family reunion. And so the the islands, just the islands in general of the Philippines, I sure. am super excited to get back to. And just the people are just amazing, and you know, and it's just I don't know. I love that way of life. Catch a fish, eat a fish, sit in the hammock, yep. <laughs> repeat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a good uh, transition point over to Sean, because I'll tell you what, Sean loves the Philippines. We've both been there um, before. And I mean, you can't get he would love to move there, wouldn't you, Sean? I swear, if I had yeah, to pick a place for you that was not Guatemala, it would be it would be the Philippines. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And, you know, a lot of things uh, you were saying are right on, Corey. I'm, I'm right there with you in terms of, you know, catch a fish, eat a fish, just that whole um, just immersing yourself in the culture and just enjoying the people to me is what really sets the Philippines apart. You know, they're so just warm and welcoming and just accommodating just overall. And it's funny, like I've been to, um, I haven't been to Cebu yet, but I've been to, um, you know, Manila and Makati and I've been to Davao and like in different regions, like when I went to Davao, which is kind of more further out, less um, um, like city, I guess it's more, the people were even nicer. I didn't think that was possible. So, um, it was an amazing experience, and yeah, I, I I definitely loved it. So I I love that, and I, I loved hearing about your experiences. And you've truly been everywhere, so that's that's great. Kudos to you, sir. Living the possible, <laughs> very very kind. Definitely, still a lot more to see. No, I, 
I love I love that attitude. That's uh that's great. And yeah, you mentioned about Buenos Aires, and that's actually somewhere I'd like to go at some point too. Um, and what was it you know about that? You know, because it is a bigger city. What was it that made it kind of? You said the the culture, and I know the architecture is kind of European, but even though you're in Latin America, is it the fusion? Um, is it just kind of like it kind of has a little bit of everything that you're looking for for you and um your family when you were there? Well, I think I think it was it was. It was, I think that's a good point. It, it was Kate and I had been like backpacking through the Andes. So we were living in a tent basically for weeks at a time. And uh, so it was, we, we actually got an Airbnb for a month in downtown Buenos Aires. And we just said, we're going to live. This is our community. Now we're going to go to the local bodega. We're going to go to the park. We're going to go to the restaurants, which we later found didn't open until like 10 o'clock at night. And we go to bed at like seven. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, I think there was a couple of gringo restaurants that were opened at six. Um, so um, that part of it and just the architecture for sure. But one of the things we really, I guess I didn't know about, and I uh, was learning about the history and um, there was this history about the, uh, there was this, there's a lot of protests in, in Latin America. You probably see it a lot in Spain too, Liz, but mm-hmm. um, it's kind of a thing. I think it's what they, <laughs> they do instead of going to parties. And um, there was <laughs> this one, there's this one thing that I noticed everywhere in Argentina and there's these white scarves, uh, graffitied all over um, plazas. And there was a protest going on in, in Buenos Aires at the, at the Capitol. And so we went went down to go see what it was about. And we were talking to some people and these women, they were the, the mothers of the lost. And um, and there was a big thing called the Dirty War, which I, I'm, I'm saddened that I didn't know anything about it, but learning about this history and the history of um, the, the city was what was really exciting. I don't want to get down, go down the road of the dirty war, but um, it was really fascinating to learn about it and how, um, how it all came about and how these people are survivors of it. And, and how, how is it that we didn't even know about it or that we weren't taught about it anyway? You know, it's not in our, not in our classrooms on a, on a, on a any level, but uh, so that was fascinating. And then um and then, you know, talking to people, it's funny, like you ask somebody from Argentina where they're from and they say from the boat because, um, you know, it's just basically Europeans that populated the country and and took it over. And so it's it's funny, like we would say, You're, I'm from Germany. My parents are from, they just say, yeah, we're from the boat. <laughs> so but I thought that was kind of interesting. That's funny. No, oh, man, that's that's awesome. And so a part of that, you know, being um, inspired and motivated and having so many experiences and, and being different places um, in different times of your life, because like you said, you went to the southern tip of Argentina, you know, near the, you know, uh, the, the coast. And, you know, when you first went 10 years ago, it was one experience and going back, it was another, um, you know, but capturing those moments and that journey and, you know, going along the way and discovering yourself. You, uh, you went along and you did something that a lot of people will talk about, but you've actually done it three times now in writing a book. So what got you to the point of where you said, you know what, I'm going to actually jot down and, and write and capture these moments. And how did you know you had the ability to be a writer? Because I sampled some of um, the audio version of uh, The Buddha and the Bee, and I, I loved it. Very poetic and really captured uh, the moments of you uh, interacting with the bikers. And I thought that was awesome. Um, that was funny. What what got you to feel, um, you know what, I'm going to take this leap of faith and, and go for it. And, you know, and and how bear uh, some you know great, great results. You know, um, 
so I've always kind of journaled. I've always been a journaler. So when I wasn't traveling international in my 20s, I would hop on my old 1980 R65 BMW and drive around the country and, you know, just get lost on the back roads. And, uh, and I would journal every day about, about it. And, um, and so I always enjoyed writing. I never, <clears throat> oftentimes I never revisited that, but uh, revisited reading my notes, but I always liked to do it. It just was like a creative outlet for me. And so when I was starting this trip, the bike trip, um, I would every couple of days try to find a library and then send a mass email out to friends and family about what I was doing. And so that email list grew. This is all before Facebook and, you know, and all that. So there, it, my, my CC list was getting bigger and bigger because people were adding to it. And then people were like, oh, you need to write a book about this. So I, I uh, eventually um, bought an iPad and I said, I'm going to write a book. So I wrote this book and had 28 chapters laid out and uh, left my iPad on a plane somewhere in Amsterdam. And I was completely heartbroken <laughs> and was like, that's it. I'm not going to do this at all. And, uh, and uh, one day um, later, uh, I sold my business and the company that bought mine issued me an iPad. And that's when I learned about the cloud. And I was like, oh, <laughs> there's the there's the book. So I was so happy. Oh my. I, and then I reread it and I was like, this looks like a eight year old wrote this. This is horrible. And so I rewrote it, sent it to an editor and, um, and it kind of flourished. The hardest part was in the first book anyway, she was like, yeah, we don't know who you are. And I don't like sharing too much about me. And, um, and I said, it's really weird to write it into a book and then have people that you don't know buy it and then, <laughs> and then read about you. That was the most interesting um, mental part of it, but, um, yeah, no, it was just, it was just, it's really, for me, it's a creative outlet. And, um, also my dad saved all my emails. So that was, those are some more notes that I had to, to go back and revisit when, when writing these books. Cause these are, I mean, I did it in 2001. So, so the first book is the bike trip from Minneapolis to Cal California. And the second book is I'm like, I'm not going back home. I'm just going to call it a day. And then I worked my way down to Antarctica and then that's the second book. And the third book is coming out on February 13th. And that's from Iceland to Southeast Asia. Wow. Wow. I love it. So it's really like chapters, you know, not just the books, but the chapters of your life. And um, you go and like you said, it is hard to reveal personal things like, you know, about yourself on, on any level, but to really get into the depths of where you can tell a story and make it compelling. It's, is difficult. So you go to the points of sharing emails or elite components and notes of emails from, you know, your father. That's, that's gotta be some real uh, deep personal stuff. Uh, so, wow. Um, yeah. It's, I, it's not that I show, I don't share the emails from my dad. I just share, I just use those as notes because they're emails I wrote to the group. Uh, so then I knew where I was because it's hard to remember, like, where did, where was I last weekend? I don't remember. You know, So to, to have that as a timeline, was nice, but you know, you guys can appreciate this. One thing I touch on and I get a lot of positive feedback on is people who do read travel memoirs and read these books often say, um, I do get into really the, the, it's not always, we talked about this earlier, Liz, it's not always uh, wine and roses. I mean, there's times yeah. where you're just sitting in a, on a bus stop in Paraguay and you're like, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? You know? Mm -hmm. And, and, you're, you're lit, everybody else is going, looking at you going, wow, look at you. You're having so much fun. And you're just like lonely in a hostel. You don't know anybody and you have to, 
you're telling your life story for the 1500th time to some stranger and you're listening to their life story and you're just kind of like, what, what is the point of all this? And so to your point, Liz, about recalibrating, yeah, you have to sit back and then think, okay, take a deep breath and start over. All right. You know, now the journey starts today, <laughs> even if the journey has been going on for five years. No, no, uh, definitely. And it's, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, inspiring. And I, I appreciate anybody that takes a chance and believes in themselves and you've done it and being rewarded for it. So that's awesome. So you said it a couple of times uh, as far as like selling your company. So uh, when you're saying selling the company, is that white condor publishing um, or is that something you're still doing? No, no. It, white Condor is what I own now. That's what I publish my books under. That's that's my publishing company now. Um, no, when I was the third book, I um, I get to Southeast Asia because my uncle um, asked me to fly to China to go look at some furniture for his furniture business in the factories in in Shenzhen. And I said, okay, you know what else? What else do I got to do? So so I flew to Hong Kong and then went over to Shenzhen and and. Uh, the agent that he used, she asked me if I was interested in starting a business. Um, she, she thought that I was intelligent, I guess. And, and I said, sure, you know, what, what should I do? And she said, I have this factory, we make heart rate monitors. And I said, okay, well, what do I have to do? And I was kind of getting tired of traveling. I was ready to, you know, unload my backpack for a couple of days. And, uh, she said, well, come up with a name, come up with what you want us to build and, uh, design the packaging. I was like, okay. <laughs> So I, that's basically how I started a company. And then 10 years later, I sold it to one of my distributors. And um, and then I met my wife and we got married and sold everything again when we were in our 40s and traveled through South America. And now we're in Phoenix by accident, not by design. Oh, wow. <laughs> No, that's a, that's, that's Don't tell Phoenicians that they'll be offended. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's from here anyway. <laughs> unbelievable. So to go through all that and, you know, being at the right place, right time and having the talent to pull it off. You know, I've been places people say, let's start a business. And, you know, we have nothing. So obviously you got something um, to show for it. And that's a commence to you. Um, how was it to balance that, though? Like to. um you know, be able to and like still have the White Condor Publishing Company um, to balance travel to being a, a business owner and, and just kind of balance that. And then also being an author and, you know, in writing books. Well, these are definitely chapters. So there was no balance when I started my business. I, I'm kind of I kind of jumped in and was working 24 hours a day, 17 days a week. Um, I was always working and it wasn't it wasn't I mean, I didn't get paid for two years. So it was just, I was living in a hammock in a little office building that I rented out. And um, there was a Pandera shop, a bread shop next door to our uh, office. And I would dumpster dive for boxes to ship my product in. I mean, I had no, oh, no wow. money. <laughs> I had no money. I mean, so people were receiving fitness products and boxes that had donut frosting on them. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> so um, That's some trust. <laughs> they had yeah. some trust. Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so, you, you know, year, the, the company finally grew. And uh, then I was able to start to travel a little bit at a time. I w um, it, it got to the point where the company was running itself. So and then I utilized my um, my meeting. So I had like 10, 12 distributors around the country. So I turned that into a road trip. I throw my mountain bike in the back of the truck and be gone for a month. Um, and then I had uh, I had factories in Taiwan and factories in China. And at the time, my brother was living in Saipan. So that would be my 
trip. And then I eventually had a distributor in Singapore. So then I would spend like a month and a half in South, you know, Asia part. And um, that was really the only time I could play was during those kind of meetings, those work meet trips. Um, but other than that, when I was home, I was, I was working, just work, work, work. And then when we sold the company, it was like, okay, I don't want to work anymore. I'm done. And uh, so my wife was like, I'm ready to go travel. And uh, so, yeah, so we sold everything and took off. Wow. That's, that's, that's right. awesome. Um, so, but during that, that process and, you know, becoming your own, you know, publisher and having your own publishing company. And you mentioned some of the challenges, you know, being new to that industry, trying to figure things out as you go. Um, what was like the biggest hurdle you had to overcome to get to the point of where you had success and were able to um, move forward and you know flourish? Well, in the heart rate monitor company, I think the biggest hurdle was just no, learning business. I, I, I mean, my, my background before that was I was a project manager at an architecture firm. So I, I ran projects. Um, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have to do payroll and I didn't have to do uh, there, you know, everything is involved with a business. Um, so to, you know, learn how to build a website. And again, this is before Wix and all these, all these wonderful companies. It was just like, you had to download some software from Adobe and then figure it out. And um, so just that whole learning curve was the biggest hurdle. And then once the machine started running smoothly, it was just kind of like, you know, those pictures of the guys spitting plates on sticks. It, yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's just, that's what it was. It was just keeping the plates spinning. And, and then when we got toward the end, I saw, I saw the writing on the wall. Everything I sold was now a free app on an iPhone. So I was like, I got to get out because pretty soon there's not going to be any value to the company that I have. And so I was able to get out before that. Starting the book publishing, I think the hardest part is because I'm really not that good at it is, is, uh, is social media marketing. And so like, that's how, you know, it's like you're selling one book. It's not like people are buying a chocolate bar and they like it and they buy another chocolate bar. <laughs> it's they buy your book and they read it and then they go, oh yeah, we like it. And then they give it to their brother and then their brother gets it and you're like, oh, I just lost a sale. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you know, yeah. So, so you're, it's always trying to find that that next uh, that next enthusiastic um, reader, and that's that's the hard part. It's fun. It's just you know, it's hard because it's every every day you're pioneering. You know, you're out there hustling. So, no, you know, that's a double edged sword, Corey. Too, because I have to say something. I think it was my mom told me this was never buy a book that you intend to keep. Like you want to buy books that are so compelling that you want other people to have it. So you pass it along. So when someone likes your book so much and they're, you know, they're touched by your stories or they're excited about your experiences to the point of wanting to give it away to somebody else. Um, you know, that's a compliment to yourself, but it's like you said, it's also another missed sale because the, because now, now the original person doesn't have the book and the new person didn't buy it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right, Liz. Well, hopefully one day they'll want to replenish their bookshelf and they'll just buy it for the sake of having it on the bookshelf. I've done that a few times. I have to. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> or taking credit for an audiobook that I listened to and say, oh yeah, I read that book. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and that gets me to my next point. And uh, great call out, Liz, as usual. Um, as far as like in what made you want to go to the audio book um in that route as far as that form of media because I, I i love it personally 
Um, I know you travel a lot. Was that part of it? Maybe the convenience of it or it just something that kind of came about? You know, um, I, I'll be the first one to tell you, I was, I was really surprised by how well the Buddha and the bee has done the book. And um, it's won like 30 awards in the last couple of years. And I'm just like uh, blown away. I was, I'm the first one. To, I don't have any ego about it. I'm just like, wow, I was just hoping to sell three books. And um, so when I started looking Mission at my sales, what's that? Mission accomplished. <laughs> I did. I agree. <laughs> and um, and uh, so w- when I started looking about, okay, and I, and I put my old company, my business hat on, I'm like, okay, it's one thing to pioneer new sales, but what if, if I already have the distribution, how do I increase my sales? And so it was basically, I have this widget, the book, and there's going to be people that buy the ebook. There's going to be people that buy the hard, the paperback. And then what else is there? And it was just audiobook seemed like the next thing. And then when you do research on it, I mean, like the audiobook, um, the, the sales are, um, are estimated to grow in the future. Like audiobooks are supposed to boom. And so and it, it's true. People drive around, they put an audiobook, or you're going flying across country, you know, you have the audiobook. So it just made sense. And that the hardest part was finding the voice that I wanted to attach to the story. And so when I found Sean, I was like, oh man, yeah, nailed it. So, <laughs> so I was really happy to find him. No, that's, that's awesome. And yeah, he does a great job along with your words of painting the picture of the moment and you know, from the snippet that I heard, I honestly do want to hear more of the book. And, you know, I have the opportunity of talking with you, but you know, you, like I said, your life is interesting and compelling and has so many different layers and how you've done it to literally where the books are chapters within your life and stages and moments of your life and you know how you were feeling and where you were at that time and um, you know where you are now. So I, I'm excited. And uh, as you should be excited and everyone listening should be excited because there's a new book that you actually have coming out, if you don't mind talking about it. Yeah, it's yeah. the it's the third book. It's the it's the third book of the trilogy. So the first book is the Buddha and the Bee, um, as I mentioned before. That's the bike trip uh, cross country, and then the second book is called Unlost, and that's uh, from California down to Antarctica, and then the third book is uh, called Embracing Bewilderment. That's a tongue twister. Embracing Bewilderment, and it's actually a Rumi quote um, that says sell your cleverness and embrace bewilderment. And I thought that's cool because that's what we should all do. I mean, we all think we're smart, but we should go out and learn stuff. And uh, so that one's about landing in Iceland and then working my way to Southeast Asia. So I'm excited about that one. That one comes out February 13th. That one's a little darker. My my editor was telling me, she's like, you get a little dark in there, um, you know, because it's, th- it's my second year on the, you know, traveling around the world and you know, I'm kind of getting a little bit lonely, questioning what, what I'm doing with my life. And I'm 32 years old, 33. I'm like, don't have a college education. So I'm like, what am, what am I going to do when I get home? Do I even want to go home? And uh, so it gets, there's a little bit more thought in there. And uh, some of the places you visit in Southeast Asia get a little seedy. And, but I had to be honest, it was tough. I was debating whether to put some of that stuff in there, you know, especially like the sex industry, sex trade industry, but it's, it's sure. the reality. It's what it is. And I think it needs to be, you know, people need to be aware of it. No, definitely. And, and people can appreciate that being authentic and being, you know, raw. And they're, you know, it, it, it makes it the more vulnerable you are, you know, the more uh, people um, can say like, oh, this person is being honest. So I'm getting like a true perspective 
of what his experience was. And I feel like I know him and I have some things that are relatable to me, you know, because I'm being honest. Yeah, I've been to, you know, Liz and I have both been to Southeast Asia and you know, the sex industry. And we talked about it on previous podcasts, you know, everywhere. But, you know, definitely there and in Latin America, it's, there's no way to not see that or that be a part of something that, you know, you encounter, whether you're looking for it or not, it's there. Um, and it'll there's other things. You. Yeah, it, it'll, it'll find you. Um, so yeah, this yeah. it's looking for me, but yeah. Um, you know, one thing I did want to ask, um, you know, I, you probably don't like this question, but I'm, I'm going to cautiously ask it. I love the name, the Buddha and the bee. How'd you come up with that name? Cause you had a great way of coming up with, um, embracing bewilderment. It was hard for be, me to say. Yeah. Bewilderment. I know I got to work that one out too. Um, English is a second language to me sometimes. Um, so yeah, the, the Buddha and the bee, it's, it's, kind of a simple story. My brother came over and uh, he was asking me, he stayed with me for a month. And as a gift, he wanted to give me a Buddha statue for our backyard by the pool. And I was like, I don't know if it fits my, my repertoire back there. And so I was like, I, was, I had that top of mind and I was like, let me think about it. So we live in Phoenix and across the street is the Phoenix mountain preserve. So I go hiking up there as much as I can. And it was spring and I went up and I saw some bees around a, a flower. And I was like, Buddha, thinking about the Buddha statue and looking at the bees and like Buddhas and bees, Buddha, Buddha and bee. Yeah. Buddha and bee. So I ran home, plugged it on the computer and I wrote in Buddha and bee. And I just so happened to have the quote that popped up and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the name of the book. So there's actually a quote from Buddha about the bee. And it says, and I think we can all as travelers live by this as a bee gathering nectar does not harm or disturb the color and fragrance of the flower. So do the wise move through the world. And I think that's awesome. Like when we travel, we don't want to interrupt the cultures that we see. We want to embrace the culture that we see, you know, or the area that we go camping. We don't want to leave it disturbed. We want to leave it undisturbed, you know, but we want to enjoy it and embrace it. And that's how it came out. And so I was like, that's a perfect name. No, it really is. Man. I like I'm glad it. I asked. Yeah, I, I love it now. I like the title before, but now I love it. So, uh, man, I wish I, could, I wish I could use it. <laughs> but I do, I do, I do get occasionally a book review that says this book has nothing to do with but Buddhas or bees. Oh, for goodness' <laughs> sake, those people! <laughs> Little do they know. Yeah, he's quite about it. So, um, man, that's awesome. And uh, since we're on that, um, unlost. I mean, to me, it's, it seems straightforward but i don't want to assume especially with Buddha and the bee having way more meaning than i anticipated what about that title i mean because you kind of explained where where you were at that point you know you had you know said well, i'm gonna go ahead and and travel and, and go ahead and go forth and you know travel to, to latin america and and uh, see different things and you know kind of find yourself basically so um but where how'd you come up with that title so that one wasn't my first choice actually my the I can't remember the name. I can't remember the exact title of the first one, but in it, it, am I allowed to say, I'm going to just say, say, okay, so there's a quote out there and it says, you know, un-F yourself, become the person, go polish. I'm totally rooting this quote. It's like, go become the person you were before the world dulled your shine. You know, it's like, oh. and it, there's a quote out there. If you can find it, it's going to say it a lot better than I do. But it has, you know, the Effenheimer in there. So that was the original name of the book was on was polishing your shine. 
but <laughs> that could be taken so many different ways. <laughs> and uh, so we didn't stick with that. And so as I'm talking to my editor, she goes, well, how about unlost? And I said, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. It's a single, simple word. I try to keep, I try to do titles that see, book titles aren't copyrighted. So anybody can use the same book titles. Right. So I try to use ones that are not going to, you know, not that common. So one of the downsides is when I published on Lost that exact same week, there was a woman named Gail who unpo- who also published a book called Unlost, and it's about her hiking the Appalachia Trail. And no so, kidding. Yeah. So that's too funny. Yeah. So it was just kind of dumb, dumb luck, I guess. But uh, I said, well, I hope hers is really good. So when people are looking, they accidentally buy my book. Oh. And it's in the same category, right? So, I mean, maybe that'll just swing in your favor, right? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, so that's how that one came about. But, yeah, look up the uh, polishing your shine would be like, or on F yourself that you'll find it. You'll find the quote. It's a neat quote. Don't worry. We get censored all the time because Sean and his big old mouth over here, he gets gets us flagged on Spotify constantly. (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, we'll be everywhere uh, once I get it edited and cleaned out. But um, before we do that, though, we I would like to know, um, because you had such a, an amazing, interesting, insightful life, what perspective and insight can you have for, um, you know, young writers, young travelers, young business owners, people that are kind of questioning, like, you know, man, I want to be like Corey. I want it all. You know, I, how is he able to manage all those things? Or um, maybe you, you you feel like there's nothing wrong with maybe focusing on one or the other. What, what perspective can you provide um, to kind of help those that are still looking for themselves and looking for what best fits them? This is going to come if, if I have friends and family listening, they're going to start laughing when I say this. But uh, you got to be humble. It's it's you got to go at these things. We can, I mean, I'm the first guy to think that I know everything, but I, as I get older and as I do more of these things, I, I realize that I don't know anything. And so sitting back, surrounding yourself with the people when you're traveling, whether it's the locals, when you're starting a company, whether it's somebody who's already done it before, but just sit back and listen, because if you think you know anything, you're not going to learn anything. And if, if you don't learn anything, you're not going to grow. And that's, that's it. That's, that's no matter what you do. I mean, my wife just took up mountain biking and she's like, do this and this and this. I'm like, I already know that. <laughs> I've been doing it for 10 <laughs> years, you know, but then she'll, she'll say something. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. I guess I never thought of that because I'm so stuck in my ways that I didn't, I didn't look at it from a different perspective. And so, yeah, I think it's just sometimes just being quiet and listening. That's the best. That's the best. No, I love that. And I struggle with that. Um, you know, if you can't tell uh, Liz, uh, do you have anything you want to add before we give Corey the last word? Because uh, this is your show. I'm just a engineer. Uh, you're just living in my world. Is that the? Yeah, yeah. Just no, truth. it's just a thought came to my mind in uh, about what you were just saying there, Corey. Is that a, fr- a professor of mine in college on the very first day of class wrote on the board? There's more that you don't know that you don't know than you do know that you don't know. <laughs> and that had people all twisted up for the whole day. And to me, I just looked at it and said, yeah, that makes sense. That's why we're here, isn't it? Is to figure out what we don't know 
and how to work through it. But I think that escapes a lot of people and it fits in kind of what you were saying with the the bike with your your wife is that sometimes we do get stuck thinking that we've already learned something. So that chapter is complete and we can move on. But there's more that we don't know that we don't know. Like how can you possibly know everything that you don't know? So it's worth it to take a step back and just listen, because even if somebody's saying something you think you've heard 20 times already, there's fresh eyes and you're sometime you're going to learn something new. 100% agree with you on that one, Liz. Man, Liz is on fire today. This has been like our best show. Thank you, Corey. She's bringing out the best of Liz. <laughs> God, we need that. <laughs> no, but uh, speaking of bringing out the best, we brought out the best possible guest there is. Corey Mortensen, the man, the myth, the legend, writing books, living the loca, and uh, just having a great old time. We would like to have you say the last word, sir, to you know, christen the show correctly, if you don't mind, and then send us on out. You know, I would just say if there is something out there that you've been wanting to do, and I, and I know this is cliche, but it's so true. It's, you know, I, I always wanted to travel the world. And I, like I said earlier, when I was 31, I thought it was too late, but then I did it. And now I'm 54 and I feel like my life is just starting, you know, and to think when I was 31, <laughs> my life was over. And I look back at the things that, you know, I, I did in the last 20 some years. It's just astonishing. And so don't, don't not do the things just because you're afraid or something like that. I mean, I started a business. I didn't know what I was doing. You figure it out. You're going to learn. You're going to stumble. You're going to get up and, and keep doing it again. And uh, I wanted to write a book. I wrote a book. You know, I mean, there's a lot of other things I want to do. <laughs> um, and it's funny because I, all those other things that I want to do, I find myself as my worst enemy because I'm holding myself back. I'd love to lose 20 pounds. I'd love that. You know, that would be something I want to do. And why don't I do it? Because I know I can. I just have to focus. And uh, so just do it. Just just, just go out and do it. Go travel to Spain. Go live in Spain for a year with your husband, you know, like Liz. And, uh, you know, start up that company, you know, go on that hike. And, uh, you know, there's a guy out there, Alistair um, Humphreys. He's a writer and uh, he, he has a thing called micro adventures, which I really embrace. And he's it's like just every day go out and walk around a different part of the neighborhood you haven't seen and, and look at the, the houses mm -hmm. and maybe meet a new neighbor. And it's just, it's the little things and do those things every day and then do a big thing every month and then do a bigger thing every year. And then by the time you're 50, you've done 52, 50 really cool big things, you know, uh, 12 times 50, whatever that number is, <laughs> the, a whole bunch of those little things. And then, uh, you know, hundreds of, of, of small fun adventures. So just, just do it. Man, love that so much. And uh, thank you again. And thank you guys all for listening and checking us out. Uh, this has been the finding ourselves travel podcast with Liz Dowling, myself, Sean Hicks, your host with the least and Corey Mortensen. Check them out. Definitely look out his books, the Buddha and the bee unlost and embracing bewilderment. I tried to practice, but it didn't help, but it's an amazing book. Check it out, February 14th. We love you guys. Thank you so much. And we're out.